ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. This week, I have an amazing treat for you. One of my very, very good friends, Helena Andrews Dyer. You know Helena. She's been on the show before. But her third book, The Mamas, what I learned about kids, class, and race from moms not like me, just dropped on Tuesday. This is Helena's third book, and it explores her initial feelings of being the odd mom out and momming while white, amongst other things. I've already began my deep dive into the book. Like I said, it just came out on Tuesday. I'm halfway through and it's fascinating. You know, when I do interviews, I like to at least get the prologue in the first three chapters in so I have context and I understand the voice and perspective of who I'm interviewing. But I sat down to read three chapters and I ended up reading the first 150 pages. It's a quick, fun read. If you remember Helena's first book, Bitches the New Black, which I think came out in 2010. It's the very same voice, just a much, much, much different perspective. Life has changed a lot since she was a single girl in D.C. writing about her romantic prospects. If you're not super familiar with Helena, I'll give you her quick bio. She is an author, pop culture critic, and journalist at the Washington Post, in addition to being a three-time author. So without further ado, please welcome Helena Andrews. Helena Andrews Dyer. I was at the wedding. Mr. Dyer, Brother Rob is what I call him. He does not play about that last name. Um, so please welcome Helena Andrews Dyer to Ratchet and Respectable. I was sitting here reading your book when you hit me. What, just now or earlier? No, just now. Like since I last spoke to you, I read like, like 120 pages. What? Yeah. Where are you in this moment? I am sitting at my kitchen table in Ghana. Where are you? I am in a huddle room at the Washington Post, not in Ghana. Sorry. You can come. Bring the babies. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know the answer to that is like, hell no. And one of my questions for you is about people without kids don't quite get mom shit. And that's why mom groups are necessary. But I'm going to ask you about all that. Where are the kids right now? Sally is in um, a day camp uh, before school starts. And Robin is still in daycare, but she starts school this year, too. Oh, my gosh. How old is Robin? She's she's not even three yet, but D.C. has universal preschool. So they can start at three, and her birthday is right before the cutoff. Oh, okay. And wait, so Sally's, what, five? Yep, Sally's five. Oh Sally's going to kindergarten. Oh my God. I know. It's insane. Oh my God. They're so big. Oh my God. Every time I see pictures of them, I'm like, oh my God, look at all those teeth. They have teeth. I remember when there were no teeth. Your obsession with their teeth is hilarious. I have an obsession with teeth in general, but especially on children, because I'm like, I remember when you had none. Like, I remember when, you know. Right. Yes. There were no teeth. She's already lost two teeth. She's already lost two teeth. Are you kidding me? No. No, I cried. I wanted to see her when I was when I was in D.C. when we met up for um, for lunch. No. And you were like, no, I'm not bringing my kids to lunch. No, 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 absolutely not. I sent you the video of Robin. You did. I appreciate that. But I wanted to like actually physically <laughs> see her. I don't, feel, I don't I don't I don't know that I've ever physically in person met Robin. No, you haven't. A lot of people have it because I had Robin. 
And literally I went back to work. I think it was like March 9th, 2020. Oh, and then the world fell. Yeah, exactly. So my, none of my family in from LA have met her. What? Mm -mm, Not in real life. Cause we haven't been, she just got vaccinated. She just got her last shot two weeks ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we have not been about that plain life, not with the girls. Um, but now, now we're ready. Now I'm like, okay, I will put her on a plane. We will go. We're going to do all the things, but yeah, no, they have not met her. They zoomed and FaceTimed, but not the same. Mm-mm. They have not, not the same. They have not hugged up on that baby. No, I've missed like and baby cuddles like, with Robin. I missed the whole babyhood. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she is a full on little kid now, which is hilarious. Aw. Aw. I know. Well, congratulations on your new book, The Mamas. Thank you. It's been exciting. It's been an exciting launch. This is my third book, and this is the biggest launch I think I've had. Yeah, I saw you on GMA, and I was like, when I was researching for this, I saw actually, I saw Rob. um, For people who are just tuning in, Rob is Helena's husband. Um, But yeah, I saw Rob post the GMA clip yesterday, and I was like exhausted when I saw it. So I watched it this morning, and I was like, oh, oh. It was crazy. It was crazy. And he was the silent hero of that whole taping because we taped it at a coffee shop near our house and they were doing jackhammering on the street outside. And it was so, so loud. And he went out and convinced, he was like, I just talked to the old black man and convinced them to like hold off for 20 minutes. He bought them coffee and pastries. You know, you know how your boy does. I love Um, Rob. I love brother Rob. Yeah. Yes. He did yes. what needed to be done for the greater good. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he, he at first he wasn't going to come. I was like, no, come. Just, I just wanted him there. And then he ended up like having to do. Yes. He gets it done. Yes. He is the hero of this book. You captured him really, really well. Like his one liners. <laughs> like I was like, I can hear his voice in the book. I have gotten so many texts about about Rob and folks are just like, Rob comes off great in this. Rob sounds amazing. And I'm just like, does he? he does. I didn't realize. He does. I did not realize. I mean, he's pretty great. He's pretty awesome. Yeah. You gave him like the, the perfect, not, I said, won't pay perfect. The good husband treatment. Like he, he comes off really, mm. really good. Listen, the, the marriage story will be the next book. That'll be the next book. <laughs> I love that there are so many books in you. I love that you write about like every stage of your life. Yes, ma'am. Because you know what? I don't know who who looks like us that's doing it. Right? Like a, a lot of us, you and I, our first books came out like within a year of each other. Right? When we were talking about being young and single and in the streets. Yes. Um, <laughs> very, very different. And, you know, I think what's interesting about this book is that it is on... I'm still, the core of the book, I think, is about authenticity. And I'm still very much in in recognizing what being authentic is, even when you are in a different place and space than you may have fantasized for yourself in your early 20s, 30s. um, But you are still you. And so I think it's important. I think it's important to tell that story at every stage, because otherwise people get stuck. They get stuck in this identity that was you at 28 and yes, I am her, but 
I have evolved. Beyond, yes. Is this not like married with two kids in D.C., like living in a city? I don't know if D.C. was your city. Um, but is this not like the life you envisioned for yourself or you wanted for yourself? No, it is. I mean, I think I definitely was not one of those girls who played like mommy. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like one of those little girls who was like, I want to be a mom and be married. You know, I'm raised by a hippie pot smoking lesbian woman, free spirited woman who was very much F the patriarchy. So my life now is so different from, I think, the life I grew up sort of idolizing in my mother. And so while in Bitches in New Black, my first book, I talk about like, you know, finding the husband and dating and are you wife material and all these things that are like swimming in your head in your 20s and 30s. But even at that time, I don't know if I knew, envisioned what my life would be like as like a married woman and as a mother and what whether or not I would be good at those things, right? Just I just knew that those were things that I was supposed to want, but I didn't know what they would look like, really. Do you think you're a good mom? You know, I can't answer that question. Honestly, you will have to ask Sally and Robin, and you will have to ask them in like 20, 30, 40 years. I think that I am growing into mothering, right? Because that, it's just like loving. It's a verb. You have to, it's a muscle. I talk about the caregiving muscle in the book. And I don't think, I don't subscribe to this idea that women are just natural nurturers. I know some people believe that, but I, I don't necessarily believe that, you know what I mean? Or whatever your version of nurturing is. I am not the white stereotype baking cookies at the soccer game type of mom. Yeah, I just, I, I'm not. And I think what the book sort of tries to get into is the fact that that isn't, first of all, nobody is that, nobody I know is that. But beyond that, like that doesn't mean that I'm not a good mom. Like the good mother trope too often doesn't include black women and how we mother and mothers specifically And so I think that, you know, my girls are happy. They are carefree. They will sing and dance at the drop of a hat. They will tell you, no, I do not like that um, with all that big girl energy. So I know what I'm pouring into them is good. At least it looks good so far. You know, I've only been doing it five years, but motherhood is the one job where it's like you're literally thinking about it constantly, pouring your heart and soul into it, you know, blood, sweat and tears, all of it. And you can't control the grade, right? Your your kids are going to give you that grade. Yeah. So I don't know. Ask my babies. When I was reading the book, there was like an offhand line and it was, it was when you were um, explaining why you needed to be part of a mom group. And you said something about like, you know, you had to, it was with your first daughter, um, with Sally, and you were saying that you had to get out of the house, you had to have adult conversation, and you had to not just speak with people who didn't have kids. And I was like, what's so wrong with us? Like, we're okay. Like, we get it. And then I kept reading and I was like, oh, yeah, you got to talk to other moms about that shit. Like, I'm not having long conversations about inverted nipples and children's sleeping patterns. I'm just not, or their poop. I'm not analyzing that shit. Like, you got to talk to other moms. I totally get it. 
No, no. And especially when you're in new mommyhood, when you have a newborn, those first like three, four months, they consume you. Literally, they consume your day to day. So yes, I can have a three hour long text chain about the color of a baby's poop. You know what I mean? Like, and whether or not she peed enough times today or did she feed enough times today? You know, like literally it gets so granular as you're just trying to keep this little sea creature alive. Um, yeah. Your friends without kids. No, they don't want to hear that. They don't got time for that. They are, they are out actually living life, right? You need someone who is in the, what is it? The foxhole, whatever it is, you need someone who's there with you, like going through it. And that's one of the reasons that mom groups exist because you need camaraderie. You need someone who is literally like, oh yeah, you ain't slept, but two hours in the past, you know, 48, me too, girl, let's be exhausted together, you know? Um, and it, it's important. How many mom groups are you in now? Cause I'm at the point in the story where there's like the white mom group from your neighborhood, the Bloomingdale moms, <laughs> and then there's the Mocha moms. And I was like, how many, how many groups are there? Girl, so many. Okay. And if you can't, if you have not figured out now, I'm a joiner. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that, you know, like me, you're an only child. I don't know if that's that only child energy. Like I'm definitely like an extroverted introvert, but I feed off the energy of people. And while I still like to be alone and in my house and nobody talking to me, which again, I got two kids, so that's not really my life. And a husband. But yes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and a husband. Yeah, and a husband too. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like to be around people. I think it's so, I think it's just, it's like recharging your battery. So yeah, a million groups. The My entree to the larger world of mom group, right, was through this big Facebook group, this online group that is for the mothers, the parents in our neighborhood. That's like, like hundreds of people in it. And then within that group, there's all these little subgroups. So it's like, you know, moms with fall babies, right? So it's like the mom who literally has a child a week around the same time you had a child, like finding those exact mothers. So those were the moms in my neighborhood that I got the closest group, closest to. And then we formed this WhatsApp group meeting in person and online called the Super Cool Moms, which is totally corny, but whatever. And while I'm still doing that, I founded um, or chartered, I should say, the DC, one of the DC chapters, Mocha Moms. And also while I'm doing that, a bunch of my friends who were Black started to move into my neighborhood. So we have a group we call like Black Family Takeover. Um, and then there's also District Motherhood, which was a group that was also being founded as all this stuff is going on for me. And that's for Black millennial moms. Um, and then you have, and then when your kids start to go to school, you have those friends, those, the, the, the parents of your kids' friends, right? The classroom moms. And so it's, it's constant. There, there are, I want to say at least half a dozen, if not more different text chains, group chains, group me's, WhatsApps that I am like dipping and diving into at any given moment. Where do you find the time? You have two kids, a husband and a full-time job. Where do you find the time to be in six different mommy groups? Listen, I mean, how many group chats are you in? You know full well, like it's it's like you're just, you're, you're switching. You're just ducking and switching throughout the day. It's like I don't this have morning. time to be in group chats. 
ma'am, this and and what's hilarious is that I used to hate group chats because I have another group chat with my sorority sisters. And they were group. They were just chatting away for a good two years. And folks in that chat would know that they would have to text me separately if it's something I needed to know about, like they were planning a trip, because I wouldn't check the group chat because I couldn't stand it. But now I feel like it's the pandemic sort of changed my whole frame of reference for that. But literally, I'm in it. I woke up this morning. This is a, a prime example. This morning, woke up this morning. Got Sally and Robin in the bathroom, brush her teeth. I, che- I checked my phone. One of the super cool moms was asking a question about this park in our neighborhood that is dangerous. And somebody was doing like a birthday party. And she was like, should I go to this birthday party? And all of us were like, no. So then that happened. Girls have brushed their teeth. I get them in their room. They're getting their clothes on. I'm trying to find what I'm going to wear. I check it again. And it's parents group chat were asking about my book because I have an event this Friday in DC with Abby Phillips. So they're like, oh, are we going to go to drinks after? I was like, we're going to try to figure it out, girl. Like literally it's like, you know, you duck and weave. And when you're a mom, you're doing your, you know, I don't quote unquote believe in multitasking because I think it's impossible. Like you can't do all of these things perfectly, but it's just like so many things are running through your head and it's just part of that. And then another mom texted me not too long ago, we were talking about this ballet situation. We're trying to figure out what ballet institute the girls are going to go to. We want them all to go together, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to weigh the different options, times, price, age groups. We've been doing that for like two weeks. So we got to figure that out. She texted me just 30 minutes ago and I'm like, okay, got to figure that out too. So it's just like a constant thing swimming in your head. That's, that's happening all the time. I'm exhausting listening to you talk about your life. <laughs> like, I, I want to take a nap. <laughs> like, Ma'am, you just did a huge international move. Stop. Yes. And I, I napped for like a week. Girl. <laughs> Girl. I want to go back to what you were saying with ballet because it triggered something that you wrote about in the book. You were talking about the added, I don't want to say difficulty, but challenges that come with being specifically a black mom. And you were talking about Mm -hmm. how like everybody wants their kid to do great and they want to expose their kids to different things um, in a certain socioeconomic bracket. I think that's important to mention. Um, But you were saying Mm -hmm. with like black moms, it's not just, okay, I'm going to put my kid in ballet. It's like, I've got to find a black ballet teacher. I've got to make sure there's at least two to three other black kids in this class. And got to make sure the other, like the white kids in the class or the non-black kids in the class are friendly to my black kid and they're not saying crazy or racist things to her. Like it's just an added something. To think about it's an added load it's added labor like there's been a lot a lot of long overdue attention paid to what they call invisible labor right which almost always falls on women falls on moms and that's what they're talking about is yes raising kids it's you're plugging into the kid you know got to get you dressed for school, out the door for school, pick you up, all of those things, right? Where I'm just like, physically, it's like, you know, the basketball team, how many touches are you getting? All of that thing. But there's also the mental labor, the mental load, like the doctor's appointments, the dentist appointments, the keeping up on their vaccines, making sure they got their second shot when they were supposed to. Um, All of these other things that are swimming in your mind as a mom and as a black mom, right? As a mom of color, You have all that plus the added attention you need to pay 
toward race, right? The added tension you need to pay toward raising a, a, a girl child or a boy child. Like all of that is swimming in your head too. So for, and, and it, and it relates specifically to another term in mothering studies, which is something I didn't even know existed until I started this book is what they call, um, intensive mothering. And another piece of that is also called concerted cultivation, right? And it's something that mothers, professional women of, you know, middle-class, upper middle-class backgrounds who are working women usually. And it's this idea that you have to expose your child to everything, right? You have to put all of this energy into your child to make sure they succeed at life. Because we are in situations now where the class that your parents in might not be the class that you're in, right? And then that's been happening since the 80s, since since Reaganomics, where class status is not guaranteed. Now, consider that for Black parents, and we absolutely lose class status, quote unquote, lose um, at a higher rate than any other race, right? So it's like, yeah, your parents might have been X, but you might not be. And so how do you make sure your kids succeeds? Expose them to everything. We're talking ballet, piano, swimming, you know, Spanish lessons, like all of this stuff. That's where we start talking about the helicopter, tiger, you know, hell, you know, all bulldozer, all of those types of parents. And black parents are doing that ish too. You know what I mean? We are doing it too because we don't want to take our foot off the gas. And for me, there's a chapter about that. I call it secret white meetings. I'm sitting there thinking, like, okay, I'm sorry. If all the little white kids are doing this, like my kid's not going to be left behind. You know, I'm going to be doing all the things I think need to be done. But what I won't do is put my kids in all white environments because I know how damaging that can be because I've been that little brown girl in the all white class, you know, and felt not felt othered, but definitely felt the added pressure and feeling like all the eyes were on me because I was the only one. And I do not want that for my children. And I think that's something that our generation sort of understands differently than our parents. Um, So what does that mean? That means I got to do the extra work. You know, I can't just put her in a regular tippy toes class. I got to make sure we got Miss Jade, you know, who's in the class and she knows Sally and Sally knows her. And now Sally can see this woman that looks like me doing this beautiful thing, I know I I belong here. I belong in this space. There is no place I don't belong. And I want to make sure she feels that all the time. And what does that mean? That means mama got to do the work. I got to do the research. You don't want Sally and Robin to feel like the only one in a class or group setting, but you signed up or signed on to be the only one in this mommy group. Why? <laughs> Right. Exactly. And part, I mean, part of it is what I was talking about. Like once I saw that they knew about all of these things, especially happening in our neighborhood that I didn't necessarily know about. Why? Because I wasn't a mom previously. Right. But it was like all of this, it was like a treasure trove of information that I wasn't sort of hip to. Right. So whether they were all white moms, all black moms, all purple moms, I wanted the info. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to make sure that they weren't out here doing stuff that I should know about. Right. And it's stuff you would never realize until you're sort of in that world. Like, where do you find the best nannies? How much is a nanny share? Right. Like are people doing, you know, 
babysitter clubs, um, who's got the best um, swim teacher. Like it's all of this stuff in this economy that's happening in this sort of pocket world that you have to have an entree to, right? And the entree is the baby um, because why would you care otherwise? And once I realized all this stuff was going on, I just wanted to make sure I knew because I'm also that type of person. I was like, I need all the info. You know what I mean? I'm the type of person. If you want to go out to dinner, no, we can't just go out to dinner. I'm going to hit, I'm a hit the, the interwebs and be like, where's the best place to go for X, Y, and Z? You know what I mean? And so this was of a piece in that as well, especially in new motherhood, right? I've, I've calmed down quite a bit in these five years, but when you're new to this, you want to make sure everything you're doing is not only the right thing, but the best thing, right? Because what is the common refrain? refrain? We all want the best for our kids. And I decide, right? I decide what's best. I, 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 get to pick and choose, but I want to be able to pick and choose. I want the options. And part of that is like seeing and knowing. So when I joined the group, it was for a lot of reasons. One, because they were like the closest proximity. Like these are the women of my neighborhood, right? Like there were other people I could hang with, but literally if you were 20 minutes away, it probably wasn't going to happen because when you have a, a little baby, everything is getting out the door who knows when it's going to happen? You know what I mean? Like, can you get out in a minute? Can you get out in an hour? I remember you and I met up at Big Bear when Sally was like, I don't know, three months, mm-hmm. maybe a little younger. She was tiny, tiny, tiny. And even that, I'm sure I was late. I'm sure it took me a minute. And you wanted to meet up. And where did I say? I was like, oh, it has to be a Big Bear. Why? Because it was around the corner, 15 minutes walking from my house. Exactly. And that was part of, of this group because they were so close, right? There's something called friendship proximity. And all of that is part of this. But then once I was in it and knew them, and then we all had second kids at the same time, I got to know so many of them, particularly the group that I trusted, because that's another part of this story is trusting and trusting white women, trusting non-black women. It's not something that black women do easily for all the right reasons. Um, Then I was just like, oh, wait, these are my friends. And that was so funny because it took it was always that qualifier like, oh, these are just my mom friends, my neighborhood friends. You know what I mean? Like I would never say, oh, wait, that's my friend. And once I did, I was like, oh, you know, it was like a record show. I was like, oh, is this my friend? Are these white girls my friend? Because my other friends, my real, my quote unquote real friends, right? They'd be like, oh, you you, you and your Karen mom group chat. You know what I mean? Like they'd be like, you and those effing girls. And I'd be like, no, but they're cool. And the book is like, sort of like how I got to that place. And listen, some of them weren't cool. Some of them weren't cool at all. And it was that realization as well. Well, so that was my next question for you, because I mean, for all the things that you hinted at, like there's a a long history of reasons that black women are kind of like eh, on white women. How did you make that that leap? Because me in your position, I think I would have had to figure out like a black girl group of moms somewhere, even if I had to pack up this baby in the car and be an hour late for everything as opposed to hanging out with a bunch of white women. I don't think I could be the only one in a circle. 
listen, it, it wasn't easy. And honestly, and I talk about this nuance in the group because in the book, because once we sort of, I started like synthesizing down from like the larger group and the park meetups um, and the online group to the women I started meeting in person more regularly, they weren't, while I was still the only black mom, they weren't all white, right? So there were two moms who were Indian American. There are two moms who are Korean American, still majority white, but I wasn't like the only one in just like a sea of blondes. But I think that's another thing that black women do that it's like, if you're not black, we're like, oh, white ladies, right? (laughs) It's just like, oh, a bunch of white ladies. They were not all white and, and some of them would not describe themselves that way once I started to like synthesize down. But I think for me, the bigger issue, and again, because we were around each other, like we spent two maternity leaves together, right? And that's, I had the privilege of maternity leave. The first one was five months and the second one was six months. And when I tell you I saw these women like at least three times, if not more a week, and then was texting or G-chatting or something with them regularly all day, every day, like these chicks took up my whole week. I saw them all the time. And but our interactions started to change and what we talked about started to change after the pandemic, after the quote unquote racial reckoning, after the murder of George Floyd, a man who called out for his mama. And suddenly I'm thinking like, er, why am I friends with these white chicks? You know what I mean? Like, why do I have these people in my circle whatsoever? And it's funny cause it's not even like the girls hang out with their kids our kids hang out sometimes, but really we interact way more, right? It's not even about our kids interacting as much. But what I realized was that their kids and how they teach their kids and how they talk to their kids will trickle down one day to how their kids interact with mine, right? And whether it is these specific women or just the general non-Black white parent, right? And if, and I, I, the ones that I knew and trusted, I felt not like a responsibility. I want to say that because it wasn't that per se, but definitely felt like me bringing my authentic self to these women, not having the burden of teaching them, not feeling like I needed to be their quote unquote black friend but just bringing my authentic self, all the things that make me, me to this group would help them in terms of how they talked about race, how they talked about difference, how they interacted with their own kids. And what I found when we started to talk about race more from like Joe Biden's inauguration, not even his inauguration, the night that he won. And, and when Kamala walked on stage, we're all, we're all like WhatsApping each other. And two of the moms who are Indian American were just like, oh my God, this is incredible. Look who my daughters get to see. And I'm thinking like, look who my daughters get to see, you know? And the two who are Korean American, they're like, oh my gosh, she's a daughter of immigrants. Look who they get to see. And then the other women are just like a woman, you know, it's like we all connected to her in that moment. And I just was like, okay, this is, Oh, if I never felt a kumbaya moment before, that was the kumbaya moment I felt, right? And that was sort of incredible. And then we move into obviously a pandemic or or we're in the pandemic at that point, but we move into all this, these other racial conversations. 
And not that I even had to dip into all the conversations they were having, but I can see and know the conversations that they're having with one another about race and wanting to talk to their kids about race and wanting to understand. And these women in particular, not the kind who are like, well, Helena, what do you think? You know, that's not their thing, but they will have the conversation and they will quote unquote confront themselves in that way. And I like having a front seat to that because now I know at least what these types of people might be talking about. And I like to know that because I want to know what they're teaching their kids. You made a mention of there's like a Trump supporter in the group. And just thinking as a writer, I was like, this comes up again, doesn't it? Mm. She, no, she, she was not a Trump supporter, but she was sort of like from a place where there were a lot of Trump supporters. Okay. She herself wasn't, to my knowledge. Were there women? Girl, we're in D.C., no. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, I know D.C. is like 92% Democrat when they vote. No. So, okay. But that person particularly, and, you know, I shade everyone's, like, identity in the book. All the names are changed in the book because nobody needs that heat. This person in particular ended up leaving, and you'll get to that at the end of the book, and I, I won't, like, spoil it for anyone, um, but she ended up leaving our special little super cool moms group because we had a disagreement. All of us had a disagreement and she didn't agree with how the majority of us felt about something. And she was just like, I'm out. And I find that interesting because that is something that Deneen said to me. I interviewed Deneen Milner for the book. Um, and for those who don't know, Deneen, you've had Deneen on, had Deneen on, on at least podcast. twice. Deneen is, yeah. Yes, Denise is incredible, um, you know, an incredible author, thinker, also publisher of books celebrating Black children and Black joy. And, you know, Denise said something to me where she was just like, listen, I just know in my, you know, 50 years on this earth, when it comes, you have a big, I'm paraphrasing her, but you have like, you know, you have a big hill to climb when it comes to me trusting you, because I know when ish gets rough or uncomfortable, white women bail, they're out, right? Um, and that happened. And I found it really informative and instructive. Not that I didn't know that could happen, you know what I mean? Not that I, you know, I have, it wasn't like a huge skin off my back, but it definitely, you know, you it's like you're shaking your head and you're like, oh, okay, I see. I see. Like you were you were cool until you weren't. And um which is one of the reasons why I think we always have we always have our guard up, we always have our hackles up, we always have that wall up as black women, our head on a swivel, because it's just like, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for you to say something, just waiting for the trap door to open. Um and that's the reason I think a lot of times we don't form these deeper relationships with white women, with other women, because we're just like, I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to not feel comfortable. I don't have time to like, not feel like my full self when I got my, my, my titties out breastfeeding my baby. What would you say to listeners who are like, girl, I, you know, I'm, I'm a new mom or I'm, I'm about to have a kid. And they're in a similar situation as you where actually, I think when you and Rob moved into that area, it wasn't fully gentrified yet. It was still like kind of black, wasn't it? 
It kinda, kinda is a good word. And that's, again, there's a whole chapter on the book because the book isn't obviously just about like white and black moms. It's about a lot of things, but there's an entire chapter about gentrification and what's that, what that is like. And no, when we first moved there, it was still kind of like on the cliff, you know, still sort of edgy, but the black folks who knew, you know, if you know, you know, right. That there's like this dope little neighborhood that's in the city, but quiet, um, and yeah, it's jumped the shark. Um, it has changed drastically. You know, there's a block in our neighborhood with three houses for sale over a million dollars, right? Which 20 years ago, the folks who lived in that neighborhood and there was like an open air drug market down the street would have never imagined. It was also so the mostly changed. like campus, like, I mean, unofficially like off campus housing for the Howard students. Some of it, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I used to go to parties um, in those houses, yeah. I, mean, I know you did. I, you know, the, the Alpha House is right <laughs> on First and Bryant, right? Once we moved in, we never really felt our thought of ourselves as gentrifiers, right? Um, we felt like we were moving into like a black neighborhood, a nice black neighborhood, and it changed really quickly around us. Um, but we still still felt very much in community with the people that we knew. I think for other people who are in these spaces, whether you specifically move to like a super white space or you're, it's changing, as new parents, as a new mom, I found, because I'm not going to let other people just take over the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to feel like, oh, I can't go to the park because all the nannies are here now or, you know, I can't be go to the community garden meetings because such and such is the president of it now. Because once we back up, then we've just like given them the neighborhood. Right. So that was also part of it for me. Um, But back to your first question and just like, what should the new mom do? I feel like for me, it was definitely trying to just assess and be aware of the things that were going on. And the easiest way to do that is just to like talk to a mom. You know, that's the first thing I did. I talk about in the book, that story when I was pregnant and I would see all these moms going into this church in the morning. I'm like, what's going on in there? They got, you know, a daycare. I don't know about all this stuff. And I like it swam in my head for weeks. You know, I'm like, they have these secret white meetings up in here. And I finally just like asked the mom, I was like, what are y'all doing in there? Right. And she was like, oh, it's this, it's a music class, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. But it was just like talking and asking because previously, and I think this happens in a lot of quote unquote gentrified neighborhoods is that folks don't talk to each other. Right. They just like pass each other in the street and don't say anything. And I just started talking to people like my closest friend now, my one of my closest friends, like this woman picked my daughter up from school two days ago because I couldn't make it in time. The black mom who I saw walking on the street, she was walking her dog and had like, I think her oldest at the time was maybe, I don't even think she was two months. She had a tiny baby and I saw her walking on the street. I didn't know her, didn't have to stop. And I just stopped and I said like, hey, do you live in the neighborhood? And she was like, yeah, I do. And I was like, so do I. I have I have, I think Sally was maybe like six months because they're a couple months apart. I was like, oh, I have a six month old. I'm just coming off on of maternity leave, but we do X, Y, and Z things every now and then. She was like, okay, cool. And 
we exchanged email addresses and ended up meeting up. And now she could have been crazy, right? She could have not been my cup of tea, but this woman is now one of my closest friends. Like my Robin, that's her girl. Like when she sees Auntie Marissa, she loses her ish, right? That is her favorite person on earth. Love, love her, love her family, all of these things. And literally we would have never met. We would not have talked. We would not have this relationship. I would not have someone who is literally supporting me and helping me raise my kids if I hadn't just said hello. I love that. Have the women in any of your mom groups read your book? They have. So in the Super Cool Mom group, I actually let them see some early chapters because I actually like these people, you know, and wanted to see like wanted them to know where I was going. But everyone knew I was writing the book. Like there was no secret that I was writing this book. And honestly, so many of the moms, ones that I was close with, some some that I weren't were like, oh, I can't wait to read that book. Someone needs to write that book because because they know this whole thing is crazy, right? This whole world is so nutty and you don't get a lot told about it because we think of motherhood as so ordinary, something that's, you know, we have been doing since the dawn of time, time immemorial, like that is just like, oh, what motherhood, whatever. But those of us who are in it are like, oh no, this is like an extraordinary thing. It's a huge transition. There's so much wrapped up into it. Identity, authenticity, who you are as a person, like all of it, that we want to find meaning in it. We want to understand it. We want to pick it apart. And there's a million ways to get to that. So there were so many women who were just like, yes, this is needed. And when something nutty would happen online or like at the PTO or whatever, people like, oh, Helena, you putting this in a book? (laughs) So folks always knew. My closest friends have read some early chapters and they loved it. And that was, they were my early readers. That was really helpful. And I mean, the book, dropped on Tuesday and already I have at least a dozen people in the neighborhood I know who have finished it. Oh, wow. Um, And that one is great. It's a testament to friends. You know, your friends are supportive. They're going to do that thing. And, but beyond that, a lot of them have felt really seen and it's so many different people. Like I have one of my close friends who's literally like live texting me as she reads the book and she's like, oh, this is, I couldn't believe you wrote about this. This was incredible. You know, the gentrification chapter I love. I got an email today from a white mom friend who was like, the chapter you wrote about your mother was incredible. I'm going through something with my mom now. Having an older parent and younger children is child. It is something and she was like, I am doing that right now. And I loved reading it. Thank you for being vulnerable in that way. So it's like, I'm hearing from so many different people. I have yet heard someone be like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> um, or, you know, I'm not this. I changed all the names, but I think the folks who know who they are would know who they are when they read it, you know? Yeah. Um, I have not heard anything bad yet. Okay. And you know, you've written a memoir. You know how it is. What's funny is that the people you expect to hear from, mm-hmm. you don't, right? And the people who you may have written one line about always are all twisted up, right? And if you are, I think, committed to memoir, which I am, I th- it's like my goal is to write as truthfully as I can. And it's always to focus more on myself 
and what I reveal about myself than what I'm trying to reveal about other people, right? Um, and so as long as I keep that in my North Star, I feel good. But yeah, I'm sure I'm going to... I'm sure I'm going to get some like weird, angry emails and those will go straight to the trash and I'll keep it pushing because I know in the book, I'm harshest on myself. I'm trying to really get at what it means to be me and what it means to be a woman like me trying to navigate all these different identities and trying to be an authentic, true person through all of it. And so that's the story I'm trying to tell. And I know that is the story that I told. So if folks, you know, got their panties in a bunch. I'd ask because like there was a running joke while, between us while you were writing. You were like, we might have to move to Mitchellville. Um, <laughs> you were like, we may have to move after this book comes out. Like we may not be able to stay in this neighborhood. You know, your brother wants to move anyway. Yes. He wants us to live in life. That's going to be the next book. Living in a bird. I mean, you could um, call my parents and go visit Mitchellville. No. Like they'll... I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that to me. It's a beautiful place. Because your boy is going to fall in love and I'll never get him out of there. And honestly, I see the story in that too, which is crazy because, you know, we love our neighborhood. I feel so, I feel so connected to it. In the chapter about the neighborhood, I talk about how it flipped, you know, from white to black to what's going on now and the deep history there about, you know, redlining and racial covenants and all of those things. And so like, I felt like, oh, this is the neighborhood. Like we're going to tough it out. And Rob is just like, chick is broken glass on a sidewalk. Like, I don't like that. (laughs) You know, like there was a shooting five blocks away. I don't like that, Mm -hmm. you know? And again, as we have these conversations, I'm thinking to myself, no, but my identity, I never thought of myself as a suburban mom. You know, who I am is this urban woman. And it's just like, listen, I could be Helena in the suburbs. You were, you were, you were a belle of the suburbs for a little bit. You know, it, that it lasted for a year and change. And I went to 10 countries and 10 <laughs> cities in that year. That whole bell of the burbs thing. Everyone knew that shit was like, that's temporary. Don't, don't, don't print a shirt about it. Don't put it on a shirt. Come on. we'll see it was a phase we'll see it's a phase how did you find the time to write like a whole book with like Hmm. two kids and and they were home most of the time we wrote this during the pandemic part of it i don't like to say because it's about it involves privilege but i think it also is about like investing so my last book, Reclaiming, I wrote that while I was on maternity leave with Robin. And how I did that was my sister-in-law, my husband's older sister, who's incredible, she want, she was going through a little bit of a transition. I was like, yo, you want to move in? Like, be sort of like our au pair. Help me take care of Robin. Sally's still going to go to daycare, but you like do pickups, drop-offs, like can we work something out? And she was like, bet. Came out, lived with us for six months. And I wrote that book. And while I was finishing that book up, I was finishing up the idea for the mamas. And once we, I went back to work, I had really crystallized in my head what what I wanted the book to be, even though we, I went back to work for two days, came back during the pandemic, the girls were home pretty much all summer. 
And while all that's going on, I was like, oh no, I have to write this book because what's happening is too crazy. Like, I'm not like a person who can't write. I don't see it as separate from my everyday life. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not that I have to find time to write. I just, I just do it. You know, the girls go to bed. I might write for 30 minutes. I might wake up in the morning and write for 30 minutes before they get up. Like, it's not, I don't have to carve out some huge amount of time in the day to do it. It's just, it happens, right? And so when... But what I did realize is that I needed to take book leave. So I did take book leave. I took nine months of book leave once we sold the book. And so I was out. Yeah, I was out for nine months and I wrote it primarily during that time. Um, And I had been writing so much of it. Just like I said, like I'm always writing, always taking voice notes, always taking, um, you know, typing in the notes app, like just sort of as I see things and then pulling them together when I have the time. I mean, I feel like you can, you always have the time. It's just how you spend the time, right? So instead of watching, you know, three hours of Buffy reruns every other day, like I would just write, like I just wouldn't have time to do like other things. I write in the like empty spaces, not that you have a lot of empty spaces. And then we have a deep bench a bit because my sister-in-law had to go home back to the Midwest eventually um, mourned the loss of that. But we had a very deep bench of babysitters that we trust with the kids. So for a while I had one who two or three days a week would have the keys to my car, take my car because the car seats are in there, pick the girls up from school, bring them home, you know, give them snack and nat- and and dinner and all that kind of stuff um, while I was in the office working. So I'd be home. I just like wouldn't have to deal with the kids because Rob works pretty far and would come home late too. So, he, and that's why I say it's about privilege because I, we, we had help. Like we had to have help. It, w- it would be like almost impossible to do without it. But it's also like an investment. Well, I asked the question and I, and I thank you for your transparency because so often people who want to do things, look at people who are doing it and they can't figure out how. And people really aren't just honest about, I had the advantage of, you know, my my husband's sister being able to come live with us, or I was able to afford babysitters or something like that. And just that transparency makes it like seem, I think, more tangible. People always say like, oh, Beyonce has, you know, more hours in the day than most people. It's like, no, she has a lot more help than most people like that makes a huge difference she has a chef and somebody cleaning her house and you know you have to take stuff off your plate you have to you know there is an incredible team her name is miss letitia she comes to my house once a week and cleans my house and without her i would probably go insane you know we have the babysitters who come and you know play with the girls do barbies for the hour that i'm typing away furiously on a computer like you have to sacrifice in some ways because you're right. There aren't enough hours in the day. There just are not. But I think for me, especially, I don't have a ton of mom guilt. One, because I was raised by a single mother. So I don't know a life where you don't have a mother who's working, you know, but even being raised by a single mom, my mother was very clear about being in spaces that she could be in that she had the time for you know like she couldn't be at everything but when she came Frances Andrews went hard okay when she came she had the sign she had the balloon she had all the stuff like she 
was there when she was there. And that's like sort of the model that I take. I cannot be at everything, but when I come, I'm all in. Are you the mom that like screams your child's name and like waves big signs and noisemakers and all of that? Are you that mom? Yes. Yes. Yes, I am. I I am that mom. I am the mom who's like, afterwards, we're going to go celebrate. Like, I mean, you've seen the pictures from Sally's first dance recital. You would have sworn the girl just premiered on Broadway, you know, like, (laughs) and she did. Um, And that's how hard we go. But could I take her to every single dance class? Of course not. Of course not. But listen, I found a dance class. Like I, I do the things that I can do. I, I, I do as much as I can do. And my hope you asked at the beginning of this is like, are you a good mom? It's just like, I don't think I'll know that until the end. But I, the hope obviously is that all this stuff we're doing is, is building up in them that they'll realize, you know, 30 years from now, like, oh yeah, no, mama was out here writing books and working full time and doing X, Y, and Z. Like she, she, she did the thing. The thing. Well, I think you're a great mom. Thanks. Just FYI. I want to be a better auntie, which means I need to actually see the children. Yeah. <laughs> Tell them about Look. the auntie that lives in Africa and brings home like stuffed elephants made of kente cloth. I'll, I'll, I'll be that auntie. Ma'am, and they will love you until the end of time. These girls, they, they are just like little balls of black girl magic. And, we'll, you know, they... They we might it. we might could take a fun trip to to somebody's motherland with these kiddos at some point. You got to still be they there though. Be I'll be here for a while. All right. I love her. You know I love her cuz this is at least the second time she's been on the show. Helena is my bae and my boo. I love her bunches. Although I don't see her babies quite enough or one not at all. There was a pandemic, but still That is the episode for today. We'll be back next week, as usual, with more of our shenanigans. I've been catching up on the good TV. So I watched the first couple episodes of Mike. I'm up to episode three on the Murder, Inc. documentary. I haven't listened to the first episode of Duchess Megan's new podcast. I saw she was number one on Spotify. She knocked Joe Rogan out of the number one spot. There's other stuff, too. Have you seen The Girlfriend That Never Existed on Netflix? It's a two-part doc really good also watch house of dragons i've been watching a lot of tv this week but there's really good content right now and more to come so lots to talk about when we're back on monday if you haven't caught up on any of the shows that i mentioned please do so we can have a really good discussion about our favorite tv shows okay have a great weekend and i'll talk to you soon okay bye I-